Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up 25 years ago today, John Candy passed away. He loved Alicia's pierogies. We'll talk to Alicia's, also Bob Irving and Kathy Kennedy with their stories about meeting John. Rob Carver at the Winnipeg Police Service on this horrible home invasion where a 17-year-old young man is dead. Michael Burns, the moderator of the conversation with Barack Obama in Winnipeg. And Gino DeStazio from the U of W on less money being spent on our streets. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. But I just got a call now from beautiful downtown Gimli, Manitoba, from Aaron. Hi, Aaron. How you doing? How you're, you doing, Al? You're on, the, you're on the radio, sir, so I'll just let you know because we haven't had a chance to set this up. But you are the grandson of the person at Alicia's Pierogies that John Candy would have dealt with back in the day, correct? You betcha. That was, that'd be almost about 20 years ago now. That's when my Baba Marion staff had the location on Cathedral McGregor. Yep, right. And Aaron, I'm sorry, what's your last name? So my last name is Blanchard, and uh, it was my, my Baba was Marion's staff, but I, I'm a Blanchard, so I'm the last, really, of the, uh, the Alicia's crew, of the old crew. Yeah, so the and new, new restaurant is being run by my mother-in-law. Up in up in Albert Hotel. Oh, and not in Gimli. What's that all about? I thought it was up in Gimli. No. no, there was. You know, we had a location out in Gimli. This was probably about three years ago. We ah. we opened up for about eight months, and come winter time, it's a summer town. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we we couldn't really hold her together. Sure. But, um, but, yeah, mother-in-law took over and took it to Winnipeg. Royal George, good to know. Um, did you have a chance back in 91 to meet John Candy when he was in town? I actually met uh, John Candy personally twice. So he uh, used to come, actually used to come because he owned half the Toronto Argonauts. So this was back in the day when Rocket Ishmael and Pinball Clemens were actually playing on the team. So when I was about 13 years old, I had uh, the great opportunity of shaking his hand and cooking uh, supper for him. And he loved to eat. He loved to eat. Boy, he had two dinner for twos himself and uh, three bowls of borscht. So we're looking at 24 pierogies, eight cabbage rolls, uh, 12 cubasaw, and all the fixings with it. He loved food. That's for sure, boy. He loved life and he, he loved food. No question about it. And he loved your Baba's uh, pierogies, because after he was here and tried them for many years, at, well, he, he died a few years after, but for those few years, he would often, especially uh, at holidays like Christmas and stuff like that, he would order in dozens of Alicia's pierogies. Actually, yeah, good story about that is uh, that my Uncle Don, Don Keith, he was uh, uh, manager slash owner of Alicia's for many years, as too, uh, working with my Baba. He actually used to fly, go out to the uh, airport boxes of food for John Candy, and he'd have them on his private jet. Uh, we're talking Christmas times, movie sets, a, a lot of different times. Donnie was racing out to the airport to get John uh, a bunch of his stuff. So he, he would be, he'd be ordering every year. Every year there'd be a package for John, for sure. On but a private a part on, of the the, Let me just clarify. On a private jet, just for the pierogies? Just for the pierogies, that's it. Donnie used to go there. I remember we, we used to laugh about it because... He'd have a whole van full of food. We're talking frozen cabbage rolls, borscht, kubasaw rings, uh, pierogies. I think uh, one time he ordered up about 80 dozen. <laughs> so 
You my gosh! Up that <laughs> What's that? I just my gosh! Isn't that something, eh? But but he really yeah. he really did love those pierogies. What was it about? I guess you know he's Canadian. I mean, he, he probably was familiar with pierogies before he ever tried them here, right? Yeah, you know, I think I think just you know he hit it off so good with my Baba because you know John Candy was just like he was in the movies. He was larger than life. He would take the time to 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 sit sign autographs. He was such a jolly fella and you know i think it just fit in with the restaurant all the homemade stuff and uh just a good feeling we got from him and, and bob it just really kicked it off so uh we're, we're so happy that he was part of the restaurant you know he really put alicia's on the map um for for having a movie star there as well and you know after he after he came many followed we've we've had many different people come uh to the original leashes and i think the new one as well hopefully we're gonna have some new stars come to the new location but uh, everybody from Corner Gas, cast and crew, to Corey Hart, to uh, Wayne Gretzky, a bun- bunch of different people have been there. Uh, north of 60 cast and crew, we've had people come through there over the years. It was great. So he really put us on the map, and, and we're really thankful to, to John for that, his family. Before I let you go, tell me what your Baba thought of, of John Candy and, and two dinners, and wow. Well, you know what she thought of him? She just she 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 loved him to death. Let's just put it that and I hate putting it that way, but... She just loved John. She couldn't even fit his ar- her arms around him, but uh, she was so thankful that he would come uh, every time the Argonauts would play, and, and he'd bring all the uh, players with him and stuff. She just she couldn't say you know anything bad about John, and uh, well, like I said, we're all very thankful he he decided to put Alicia's into his life. Hey, Aaron, I'm really glad we hooked up for this. Thank you very much. I appreciate the phone call back, and I'm I'm glad I got you on. Okay, you betcha, Hal. You take care. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. That is uh, Aaron. Is Baba owned Alicia's back in the day, back in 91, when John Candy was here for the Grey Cup. His Argos were in the Grey Cup. John Candy fell in love with the pierogies at Alicia's. And I can't believe that. I don't know if I've ever heard that part of it before. Cam Poitras producing the show today where he would send a private jet just to pick up 80 dozen pierogies. Is that what he said? 80 pierogies or, or 80, 80 dozen? That was one order. One there, order. There's there like, cab- I can't believe how much he ate. Well. I, you know, I thought I liked to eat. And you know what? That's that's part of the problem. John Candy, at the end of his life, was really struggling with his weight. He had yeah. struggled with his weight a lot, but it got worse toward the end. And he was really uh, struggling with his weight. And hey, <laughs> my hand's in the air right now. Me too, right? Like all of us, a lot of us struggle uh, with our weight, but he was just, and I'll tell my story when I uh, play Kathy Kennedy's story and Bob Irving's story. Back in 91, I was working for a different radio station in this very building, but we were, our studios were on the other side over in the sales area. So over on the, uh, east side of the building, we're on the west side of the building now here at Polo Park. And one of my coworkers at that time was Kathy Kennedy, who is a coworker of mine here now. So I said, hey, Kathy, uh, have you got any memories of when John Candy came in that morning? So the Grey Cup was on Sunday, and he came in on Friday morning because he was one of the owners of the Argos, and they were in the Grey Cup, Winnipeg's first Grey Cup ever, 1991. And he came in, and Kathy's got ob- – I have a terrible memory. I just remember him being really nice, really cool guy, not the big st- – he could have come in here and went, you know, I'm a big st- – Not at all. None of that. Anyhow, I called up Kathy. She's got a great memory, much better memory than mine. Here's what she had to say about that morning, all those years ago, 
when we met John Candy here. By the way, we're talking about John Candy today because it's the 25th anniversary of his death. Here's Kathy Kennedy uh, and her memories of John Candy. Well, a couple of thoughts uh, come to mind in that uh, wonderful morning that we got to spend with the one and only John Candy. The first was uh, all the cheesecake that arrived at the station that we were working at uh, that morning. I think it was supplied by the Olive Garden, and it was all lined up on <laughs> in the hallway. And and Mr. Candy uh, took great pleasure in, in feasting on the many cheesecakes that had arrived. And, and I'll never forget that with his little spoon digging into all this cake. And the second thing that I uh, thought about was, I, you know, I, obviously I wanted to get a picture and, and an autograph from him. And I got the picture and the autograph. I couldn't find any paper um, at the moment. And so I was digging around in my purse and he saw my checkbook and he said, hey, I'll just write you a check. And I have that check to this very day. John Candy signed me a check. But, you know, on top of that, um, how one of the things I remember about him the most was just how personable and affable a human being he was. He really was a kind-hearted soul. And I know he touched a lot of lives that morning at the station. And that's what I remember, too. Here's this big Hollywood star. I mean, at that time, there was not a bigger star, and yet he was so quiet. He was humble, you know, quietly saying, is it, is it okay? Can can somebody get me a glass of water? Like, I just remember him being incredibly kind, so Canadian, really. Yes, completely. Never lost his, his true Canadian roots and in, in being so polite and kind and uh, and humble. I mean, you know, as you say, there was no bigger star in the world at that time. And, you know, it was like he was the guy next door. So, uh, yeah, what a, what a great pleasure it was that you and I had a chance to share a morning with him. Did you meet Marty Short when he was here? I sure did. I remember being on the sideline at that Grey Cup and seeing John Candy. And he didn't remember my name, but he kind of waved at me. He remembered me from Friday. This is Sunday, right? And I yeah. kind of followed him into uh, one of the clubhouses there afterwards. And there's Marty Short putting on a little show. That was actually, for me at the time, uh, almost a bigger thrill because I was a big Martin Short fan. Yeah. And and you know what? It was uh, a big thrill for me, too. I ended up in the, in the um, I think it was the Argos dressing room. And, uh, yeah, ended up hanging out with Marty Short, who was celebrating in a very big way with Wayne Gretzky at the time. <laughs> and uh, they'd had a few cocktails, and the, and the more cocktails Mr. Short had, uh, the happier he got. It was, uh, th- that was fun to watch, i got to tell you. <laughs> that is Kathy Kennedy and her memories of John Candy. 1991, the Grey Cup here. John Candy was here, Bruce McNall. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, right? They were all owners of the Argos. And today, March 4th, 2019, is the 25th anniversary of the death of John Candy. All right, here is uh, my chat this morning with Bob Irving. And I began with uh, the Bomber Winter Special because that is happening a week from tonight. But we do get to John Candy. Take a listen. One week from tonight, the Bomber Winter Special. It was such a hit last year. We're doing it again. Tell us about it. (laughs) Well, we're uh, sort of a couple of weeks after free agency, and the teams in the CFL have uh, more or less settled their rosters, Hal, so we thought it was a good idea to do a two-hour kind of retrospective of what uh, the Bombers have done so far in the off season, the players they've re-signed, the players they've lost, and look ahead to the upcoming season and kind of get a grasp on you know, how their their roster looks and their team looks and all the rest of it. So 
We're going to sit down next Monday night for two hours, seven to nine, and I'll have a bunch of Bomber players and coaches on, and we'll talk about the upcoming season. And give us a tease. You feel pretty good about what the Bombers have done so far, right? Yeah, I do. They've lost two or three key players, but we knew they would. That's what free agency is all about, especially when there were so many free agents in the league this year. There was no way any team could keep them all. Uh, but they've added, uh, you know, some key pieces, and they had a good nucleus to start with. So, yeah, I think uh, their team's going to be very competitive again for the fourth year in a row and have a chance to be one of the one of the championship contenders. One week from tonight, two hours, we will be listing Bob 7 and 9 right here on CJOB. I also wanted to have you on because I can't believe it, but it's 25 years ago today that John Candy passed away. And he, of course, was here a few years before he passed away for the Grey Cup in 1991. And I'm curious, have you got any memories of uh, John Candy from his visit here? Well, a couple of things. Yeah, the 91 Grey Cup, of course, Hal, was the the first one that Winnipeg uh, ever hosted. And Cal Murphy gets tons of credit for, for being aggressive in pursuing it and bringing the game to Winnipeg. And, of course, the Toronto Argonauts were the Eastern rep. Uh, Matt Dunnigan was their quarterback. I don't know if you recall that or not, yep. but then he, a year later he would uh, join the Blue Bombers and spend three years in blue and gold. It was extremely cold that week. I'll never forget that. Uh, the worst possible weather we could have as we hosted the Grey Cup for the first time ever. ever. And then the, the other thing is, uh, and the lasting impression, I guess, is the circus atmosphere surrounding that Argo team, which was owned by Bruce McNall, Wayne Gretzky, and John Candy. Uh, Rocket Ismail was one of their star players, and right. he, of course, scored a decisive touchdown in that game. I had the pleasure earlier that season, Hal, of meeting John Candy when the Bombers played a game in Toronto. He was at the game, and there's a press conference the day before, and he happened to be in the room. And, you know, my lasting impression of him, and it was a brief hello I never had a chance to interview him, but he was, seemed very quiet, and he stayed in the background. He wanted, uh, you know, no part of, of being front and center in the whole thing. He yeah. was just happy to kind of be involved and, and be part owner of a sports team. And I still recall he just seemed like a very nice down-to-earth uh, guy. Uh, of course, he comes across as a real buffoon and a comic character in his in his movies but uh yeah that great cup week was was something else and of course winnipeg did a great job of hosting all the events were a tremendous success and then on game day you've got gretzky and mcnall and candy there and wearing their big fur coats because it was so cold it was uh it was an atmosphere that I don't think we'll ever see again because of the uniqueness of the situation. Yeah, and Martin Short. I mean, there were other celebrities, yeah. too. We were excited about, uh, you know, Candy and, and Gretzky, but Martin Short was there. I mean, it was just a, and it was bitterly cold. I remember that, too, because I was doing hits from the stands, live hits on another radio station at that time, and, <laughs> man, it was cold. Yeah, it really was. It's funny, one of the things that uh, the late Don Whitman did the broadcast of that game on CBC, and and he often referenced how cold it was, which is what he should have done, because that was a big part of the story Mm. surrounding the game. And boy, Witt got all sorts of negative response from Winnipeggers after the game, because they felt he talked about the cold weather too much. (laughs) Uh, and he, all he was doing was trying to tell the complete story, and, and part of the big part of the story around that game was how cold it was. Sure, yeah. Well, anyhow, Bob, thanks a lot, and again, we'll be listening one week from tonight for the Bomber Winter Special right here on CGOB. Thank you, pal. Thanks, Al. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun to sit down and talk some football again. All right, there you go, Bob Knuckles Irving.
tragic situation. Uh, here is what happened. Uh, a 17-year-old boy, Jamie Adal, died last night. Carver calling it a brutal, random home invasion. The 17-year-old Jamie Adal was home with his grandmother, 700 block of McGee. Police got there very quickly, and when they got there, the teen was being attacked with a weapon. We don't know what kind of a weapon because now the police watchdog is investigating, and that's part of the investigation. So we don't have all the details that we might normally have. Officers then allegedly shot the attacker to try and save Adal. The 29-year-old suspect is still being treated for his injuries. As I mentioned, the Independent Investigation Unit is now investigating this shooting. Another officer-involved shooting. But the tragedy here is that a 17-year-old boy, Jamie Adal, is dead. Home invasion. Random. No connection. This family not known to police at all. So I was watching in the newsroom here the police news conference this morning at 11.30, and we can see it live. And as you've been hearing in the news, Rob Carver, pretty tough nut, Rob Carver, Winnipeg Police Service, and you could see that he was visibly shaken, emotional, having to give details of what happened. So I asked Rob if he would talk to me about that. And I want to play now for you a conversation I had with Rob Carver just before I came on the air here at one o'clock. Well, uh, I would say that's probably the first time ever. And I have been doing Winnipeg police media releases for a long, long time. Uh, it has impacted me, uh, um, quite personally for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know the family and I didn't know the victim. And I have been asked that by a number of media outlets. Um, I, I have no connection with them. Um, it is just so absolutely senseless and and so tragic um, that I I had trouble wrapping my head around it and and I cannot uh, even begin to imagine what what a family is going through in Winnipeg right now. Um, <clears throat> I guess it was made worse and, and I was just talking to somebody about this that I I, I think when these things hit personally it, it becomes a little contagious. So I met with investigators and I met with. With some of the men and women from Central Division this morning, and and it was palpable how much they had been affected. And I I don't think uh, I don't think if we're human, and 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 really have a connection to the people around us that we can shield ourselves from that kind of thing. And I I couldn't. It 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 was a really hard morning, and I'm just the media guy. So, and another officer involved shooting, and we know how hard those can be on the police service. Speak to that. I, I can a little. We're, we're really trying to do a bit of separation today, and it's not that I want to avoid any tough questions about the, the fact that we've had a number of those this year. Um, I, I think today uh, needs to be a focus on on a, on a grieving family and a, and a young man who was brutally murdered. Um, but there is a huge impact, and, and talking to some of the uh, some of the people in, in Central Division uh, where some of these have. Uh, occurred, um, it has a huge impact. It has an impact on, on, on specific officers, whether or not they're the first ones on scene, whether or not they're the backup people showing up shortly thereafter, um, their colleagues who might not have even been there, but know them and, and share, you know, share work with them and, and all of the people connected. I, I just came down from the, uh, from the comm center, uh, speaking to, um, people who are involved in a dispatch and 911 calls and, and it's, uh, it's a tough day for everyone, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I, I don't want to say I'm sorry to say it 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 hit me as well, uh, and and I think that's the way this whole organization is right now. These are um, these are traumatic and 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 horrible events that none of us want to go through, uh, let alone go through them. We don't even want to share them. Uh, it, it's it's terrible to be connected to them, and and all of us will work hard to make sure we remain whole. Uh, we've got good systems in place to do that, but that doesn't mean that there's not big impact. And as I was listening to you uh, tell us about this, the first thought I had was feel horrible for this family. But then I thought, you know what? This could be our home, my home, any of us, right? I uh, uh, absolutely, and you know, I'm a dad. Uh, I have uh, I have a son not too far in age from that, and uh, and I was having those thoughts this morning. It could have been any single person in this city. This was a this was absolutely random in nature. We we know that. Um, I, I can tell you that the family had no no contact with Winnipeg Police Service, um, uh, and I can tell you that the offender had multiple contacts. And I know sometimes we talk about police maybe getting to a crime slowly or or maybe not as quick as we think they should. Talk about the numbers here because I think they're impressive, and I think it's important to emphasize emphasize that. Well, I um. I was actually listening to the call this morning, and, and we, we got some comments online because I talked about this online. Um, I, I can tell you that listening to the, to the original call taker, I, I can't imagine anyone would have done anything different. Um, they're getting the information they need, as they do in every single call, to determine whether or not a car is getting dispatched. And there were some comments about how long did it take? It didn't take any longer than it needed to. Uh, that, that's how long it took for, for that call taker to listen to what was happening. Uh, again, I, I heard the tape. Um, and and uh, getting the relevant information about what our officers need to show up there to make sure that, uh, that they can intervene in a situation. Uh, it was done as expediently and as professionally as anyone could imagine. And then, uh, once car was dispatched, it was less than a minute and a half, which... Um, you know, I, I've, I've been in those cars racing to calls and, uh, and I mean, you pull up at a spot, you've got to get out of the car, you've got to shut the door, you've got to jump over a snowbank. People forget that, that it's not the drive. It's, it's, you know, getting there and getting into a building and then within a minute and a half coming upon a scene where, uh, our officers are effectively, uh, uh, witnessing a, uh, a murder in front of them. Rob, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. We are about three and a half hours away from a conversation with Barack Obama at Bell MTS Place. So he'll be on stage, the former president, Barack Obama, and also on stage having that conversation with Barack Obama is Michael Burns. We'll call him the moderator, and he joins us on the phone now. Michael, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Glad to be here. So how did you get this gig? Fill us in here. We're all wondering. That's uh, a great question uh, and a fair one. Uh, the uh, the two, uh, uh, two friends of mine are behind the production for tonight's show, and they reached out to me about a month ago and asked me if I had some interest in doing this. Uh, of course, it's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm uh, certainly no journalist uh, like you or, or your colleagues, uh, but uh, excited about the opportunity to be with a, uh, obviously a large audience tonight to hear what the president has to say on uh, various issues. So you haven't done this with him before then. This is a first time for you as well. First time, yeah. It's the first time I've been on stage uh, in this setting, with certainly with him or just about anybody. Um, he is. I did have a chance to meet with him when he was in Toronto during the 2017 Invictus Games, which I was a part of. 
And I did have an opportunity last year when his wife, uh, Michelle Obama, was doing a Western Canadian swing, very similar to what he's doing here tonight and, and in Calgary tomorrow. Uh, but no, this is all, this is new for me. And give us your thoughts on, on the guy. What, what are we going to see tonight? What will Winnipeggers and Manitobans experience, do you think? Well, I've been, you know, I've obviously been doing my homework, uh, reading up on him. And obviously I, you know, I'm, I'm of an age where I saw when, uh, when he was fir- first elected a Senator and then uh, when he became the democratic nominee and, and eventually the president of the United States uh, back uh, in 2009 when he was sworn in. And I've been watching, you know, various uh, interviews more recently, the, the likes of uh, the one that he had with David Letterman. I think it was, I think he's obviously, you know, an incredibly accomplished man. I think most historians rank him in the top 10 of presidents of all time. Uh, you know, he, uh, he's going to, I think, be very relaxed. Uh, he's smooth. And, you know, I think it's going to be a great, uh, great conversation. Well, and, you know, I was saying earlier, this guy, you know, former leader of the free world, right? But he has comedic timing. He can sing. Like, uh, politically, uh, there's not probably much where I would agree with him. But, boy, I really like the guy. I respect the guy. I did when he was in office because he really, you know, it's sort of a... They say, in, who would you most like to sit down and have a beer with? But this is a guy that I think most people would like to sit down and have a beer with. Yeah, but uh, maybe not in front of 15,000 people. <laughs> well, yes, right. But you're going to experience yeah. that tonight. Uh, no question. So, no, I listen, I'm with you. I think this will be exciting. I think anytime you have an opportunity uh, to hear from a former president, and, of course, there's only a handful who are alive, uh, it's 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 unique. And uh, whether you're in my position on stage with him asking him questions or you're there in the audience to to listen and, and learn from him, I think it's it's going to be a great night for everybody who attends. And, and I'm I, happy to, to announce, by the way, before I forget, is that there was a, a handful of tickets that were just put on sale. So if people are so interested in coming, they can go to Ticketmaster and get them. Well, that's great. And I will just update a story from last week. There was a 17-year-old young man who the Secret Service flagged. He's a, a Winnipeg, a, a Manitoba young man who was flagged by the Secret Service. I can tell you that that has all been straightened out, and he will get the opportunity tonight to meet and greet with President Obama. So I've had a few people ask about him. I just wanted to get that out there. So that young man, that 17-year-old, will be there tonight and will get the opportunity to uh, meet and greet Barack Obama. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Michael, but I am curious, um, do you have a Winnipeg or a Manitoba section yeah. of some of the things that you guys might talk about? It's certainly a Canadian section. Uh, and obviously, you know, when we probably kick off, we'll talk about, uh, you know, the great city of Winnipeg, even though I'm from Toronto. I've, I've spent a lot of time in my career here. In fact, a business I was in was acquired by uh, a Winnipeg-based company back in 2006, so I've got some ties here, lots of friends that live here, and, and uh, certainly uh, you know, Winnipeg will be front and center when we kick off tonight. Well, Michael, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it, and, and have fun tonight, man. It's you, You've got the gig. I can't imagine another gig that anybody would want more today in the city of Winnipeg than the one you've got. Well, thank you very much, but I don't plan on, on uh, leaving my day job. <laughs> Michael, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Michael Burns, he will moderate the conversation tonight with Barack Obama. The Director of Urban Studies at the University of Winnipeg, Gino DeStazio, joins us. Good afternoon, Gino. Good afternoon, Hal. Thank you for doing this. I I really appreciate your time, as always. Um, So the city is spending less money on streets. That's what they had to do to balance the budget. I think the number something like... 
$40 million. Looks like uh, the province might pull back a, a bit again uh, to this week as we wait for their budget. But in the city, uh, you're an urban studies guy. Uh, what kind of an impact uh, might that have on, on the city of Winnipeg, spending that much less on streets? Well, it's going to be a big hit. You know, there's been some tough decisions that uh, all levels of government have to make. And this one, though, is going to have a, uh, a real difficult outcome in the next month or two when all those potholes start to creep up again. And, you know, cars are bottoming out and we can't keep up. And we know that Winnipeg is sitting on a massive multi-billion dollar infrastructure deficit. So anytime we take a step back from really overhauling our roads, it's going to have a really long-term impact. It takes a long time to catch up, and we're nowhere near uh, being level with what we need to do. Well, and as Chris Lawrence from the Heavy Construction Association said earlier, the longer we wait, fine, put this stuff off. Uh, but you know what? When you do get around to doing it, and as you mentioned, there's lots to do, but when you do get around to doing it, it costs a lot more than it would today. Absolutely. And then the other piece of this is how do we prioritize now when we're cutting our road budget uh, by X percent, and if that extends over a long period of time, what streets, what jurisdictions get precedence? We know we have uh, our main avenues from Portage to Main Street to our residential streets and back lanes. So how do you prioritize all this now with even less money and uh, a high demand to have my road in my neighborhood fixed first? You know... (laughs) I had a thought last week as we found out the number, I guess on Friday we found out the number. I thought, boy, you know, that Portage and Main debate seems a little silly now, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it it wasn't silly, but you know what I mean? In the big picture, man, this is much bigger a deal. Well, it it is a big deal. And, you know, we've gone through a a pretty good period of time where we were starting to chip away at the the deficit in, in fixing our roads and infrastructure. I think where we're at right now is we need to get all three levels of government really contributing to these large projects. I always say in a good way that I I think Winnipeg has always been a real good example for the rest of Canada when it was firing how all three levels of government could come together and contribute equally to large capital projects, whether it was, you know, things like the Forks or some of the smaller projects. But, you know, uh, we need to see more of that, not less. And when one level of government steps back, it means somebody else has to pick up the slack or we fix less roads or repair other uh, or, or repair less other infrastructure. Yeah, and, and we know they're not getting along very well right now, the province and the city at least, right? We, we know that uh, for a fact. Well, we do. And, you know, we've got some big projects outside of roads. We need to invest more in, in transit on the roads. We need to invest more in water and uh, other utilities and, and our community centers. Every infrastructure dollar that we can leverage from one one level of government to the other is 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 good right if the city's putting a dollar in and we can get two more from the feds in the province well now we have three and i think we just need to find a, a better way to to get everybody talking again put things aside and let's fix our streets in in communities across the province uh, and in particular in our our big engine of this uh, of the manitoba economy is certainly winnipeg and, and we move a lot of stuff by heavy traffic, uh, or sorry, big trucks in, in traffic, and those roads need to be moving. Yeah, and I think you're right too, Gino. I think we were starting to feel like, hey, we're we're kind of we're getting, a, a, you know, we're we're dealing with some of this uh, infrastructure. It felt like we were, you know, chipping away at this great big stone, and now it seems like we're on hold again. 
and we don't want to be there for very long. And if this is sort of a short term, we're feeling some economic pain, we've had to make some tough decisions. But again, that deficit in infrastructure in particular just keeps growing and growing. So the, the, the less roads we repair this year, or, and remember, we're not just talking about repairing, we're talking about new infrastructure and roads as well. So it's a, a bit of both. Fix the potholes, but also there's, there's a lot more development going on in Winnipeg, and we need to expand our infrastructure as much as we need to maintain it. Well, we haven't even, we'll end here right away. We're almost out of time. We haven't even talked about the bridges. The Arlington Bridge, for example, is over 100 years old, and that's on hold again. I mean, we can't keep putting these major projects on hold for much longer, can we? No, and we can't. And, and you know, the last thing we want to see is something like a major piece of infrastructure, like a bridge, closed down because it's unsafe and it's not on the docket to be repaired. And again, imagine the traffic. And I know Winnipeggers complained about lots of construction sites, but I think people would complain in the next year or two if we actually see less and less, but our commute is equally difficult because of the quality of our infrastructure. That's where we don't want to see the, uh, the, uh, the, the, that's where we don't want to see spending go, right? Right. Gino, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hal. Gino D'Astasio is the Director of Urban Studies at the University of Winnipeg. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.